Amen. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you to our praise team for leading us in worship this morning. If you would, turn in your Bibles this morning. We are looking at two different passages once again. First, turn to Matthew 28. Place your finger there, and then if you would turn over to Mark 12 and place your finger there. We're going to read passages out of both of those chapters this morning, Matthew 28, Mark 12, um, as we uh, finish up this sermon series entitled One Body, Finding Your Place in the Church. Next week, we will be starting a new sermon series going through the book of Exodus, And so I hope that you will come and uh, participate with us through that. I hope that you'll grab a reading plan off of the the table uh, in the lobby um, and read along with us. Those reading guides run Monday through Friday. They're not intended to be long readings each day, um, but they are a great starting point. If you don't have a quiet time that you're currently doing, a a daily time to read, um, they're a great starting place for that. If you already have a quiet time, they're a great thing to add to that. And what we found is if you'll do that, Um, then we come better prepared for Sunday school. We come better prepared to engage the Word um, during Sunday service. And so we just encourage you to do that um, and to participate along with us uh, as we go through that book of Exodus. As we finish up this sermon series, though, on church membership and the body of Christ, we conclude uh, this morning by looking at... Why, why we do what we do? What, what's the purpose that we've been given? What's the, the mission that we've all been called to as individual disciples and then collectively as the church? And so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing not only how we do that, but then how do we accomplish that? Like what, are, what is the power behind that? And so if you would, please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word this morning, starting in Matthew 28 verse 18, and then we'll flip over to Mark chapter 12. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then turning over to Mark chapter 12, Starting in verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he, Jesus, answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbors as yourself. There is no greater command, other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no one other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered it wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. Let's pray. Father, we come before you 
And Father, we thank you. We thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We are thankful for your guidance and your deliverance. We're thankful for you being a good shepherd who guides us through difficult moments in life and leads us to places of rest that renews our souls and our spirits. We're thankful for the cross and the resurrection. We're thankful for the individuals that make up this body of believers that we call a church family. We're thankful of of times when we get to stand shoulder to shoulder and, and accomplish things together. Father, we're thankful for how these people play a role in our lives to encourage us, to challenge us, to hold us accountable, to love on us well. Father, we pray, we pray this morning as we hear from your word that we would desire you, that we would desire one another so that the world may see it and they may want it. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. Jesus, when he speaks to the disciples in Matthew 28, has already been to the cross. He's already raised on the third day. He's already been appearing to the disciples at different points, and now he is preparing to ascend back to heaven. And he gives some final instructions. He gives, in particular, in this passage, four things that he that he desires for his disciples to do, and he desires really for the whole church to do. This, is, this particular command is not meant to be and to stop at just these 12 individuals. It's meant to continue until the coming of Christ, the second coming. We see that in verse 20 at the end of that passage. It says, I have commanded you this, and he says, and, I, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is a continuing thing that we pick up and carry on from the saints that have come before us, from the disciples that have come before us. And so I want us this morning as we look at this to understand that we work together for this mission. As we have looked the last five weeks at how Jesus loves the church and so we're to love the church, that we're to make a commitment to her, that we as believers come and find our place in the family of God and we seek unity with one another. We seek to, to help one another, to grow one another, to encourage one another, to, to hold one another accountable. As we follow this, this plan together, that we are working together for one mission and, and Jesus kind of breaks it down for us here in Matthew 28 that we may understand well what we are to be doing as individual disciples and as a church. He starts by saying, go. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. We go here and there. We go here and there. It's no accident that you have been placed in Vandalia. It's no accident that you maybe live a little farther out than that, that maybe you're closer to Curryville or Perry or Center or Middletown or wherever, Ladonia, that, that you're in the location that you're in, that you rub shoulders with those that you rub shoulders with because he's called us to go here. Acts, 
Jesus is giving a similar commandment as he is ascending to heaven. And he expands on this idea of going. He says in Acts chapter 1, he says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. To the end of the earth. He says, you have a a local place, Jerusalem, that you have been placed in, that you are living in. Go there. He says, you've been given a kind of a county and a state, Judea and Samaria. Go there. He says, you've been given the world. Go there. As we hear those words, again, we're reminded we're, we're to go here, but yeah, we're also supposed to go there. Now, it makes sense, though, that not all of us are called to, to go there. We're not all called to, to pick up everything and go plant a church in St. Louis or New York or wherever the case may be. We're not all called to pick up everything and move halfway across the world that we may take the gospel there. As individuals, many of us, most of us are, are told to stay right here. And to shine the light in the the place that we've been given. But we're also called to support and and make sure the gospel goes other places. A dear friend of mine that came to HLG. And before he came to Hannibal Grange, he was not Southern Baptist. He, He had rubbed shoulders with some of us. But he was from a different denomination. Now he's a music minister at a Southern Baptist church. He says, the reason I fell in love with the Southern Baptist is not because your theology is necessarily better. It's not because your preaching's better. It's not because your services are, are more attractive. Because the reason that I fall in love with Southern Baptist is because of the, co- the cooperative program. That we come together as individuals and we come together as churches to send out those whom God has placed a calling on. That we support them Not just financially, but we support them through our prayers. We support them through our our hearts and caring for them as they have needs. That we take the word of God to the entire world. That they may hear of the good news. He says, that's why. That's why I fell in love with Southern Baptist churches. We We have a responsibility to make sure the word goes there. But I want to come back to the here for just a second. Because one of the reasons that individuals can go is because we remain. I remember when the Lord put a call in my life to go to overseas to do missions for for a time. I can remember one of my family members sitting down with me and and they shared this with me. And and I'm sure I've shared this story before, but it, it pertains here again. And they, they looked at me in the, in the eyes and they said, why do you feel like you have to go there when there are so many lost here? And I knew that that question was genuine, but that, that there, was also, there was also another side to it. They just didn't want me to leave. And I looked at them and, and I, I said, you know, it, it's hard. It's hard to leave family. It's hard to leave friends. It's hard to leave knowing that there are individuals that don't know Christ here. But I can go because you're still here. Because you can tell them. Because we have a church full of people that can tell them. I go because where I go, people don't know. 
They don't know that name, Jesus. They don't know what he has done. They don't know what he's accomplished. But I can go because I know that you're staying behind, that you're holding the other end of the rope, and that you're shining the light here, that you can tell our family, that you can tell our friends, that you can tell our coworkers, that you can tell the people that we pump gas with and the people that we buy parts from and the people that we go to school with. We, we have maybe not given the mission field, been given the mission field of over there, but we have been given this one. And we're to be good stewards of it. He says, go therefore and make disciples. Our purpose in going, whether it's going here to Vandalia or to Perry or to Curryville or to our counties or our states or across the world, our purpose for going is that we would make disciples. That's a hard thing to do, by the way. Making disciples requires a time commitment. It's not an instantaneous thing that just happens and then we're done and we walk away. Making disciples means investing in another person's life and, spend, and being intentional in the time that you spend with them that both of you may grow in your maturity of, towards Christ. That takes time. That takes commitment. It's not making converts, so to speak. You can see the difference in just how that process happens. You see Jesus pour into 12 disciples for three years, living life with them, day in and day out, encouraging them, challenging them, holding them accountable, eating meals with them, loving on them, and giving them responsibility. You see at different times, he sends the 12 out, and then later he's going to send over 70 out, and giving them responsibilities in the ministry and then letting them come back and, and hearing about the great things that God's accomplished through them, but also then helping them to understand some challenges maybe that they faced. That's discipleship. And it's messy, and it's two steps forward and one step back sometimes, and yet at the same time, it's wonderful. And then there's making converts. You go in, and you do what the Spanish did back in several hundred years ago, and you say you can either confess Jesus Christ as Lord, or you can die. That's making a convert. And for many of them, even if they confess Christ, there's no follow-up, there's no desire to help or to grow, or there's no desire to see them come closer to God. They were, at best, on their own. That's not what we're called to do. We're not just looking for someone to repeat a certain set of words or a certain prayer we're looking for someone to be born again. <laughs> we're, lo we're looking that we may see a life changed. So we're called to go. We're called to make disciples. And part of making disciples, Jesus says, is baptizing them, going back to verse 19, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
So as individual disciples and as a church as a whole, this mission that we work together for involves going both here and there. It involves making disciples, not just converts. And it entails baptizing people and teaching them just like Jesus did. Just like Jesus did. Jesus starts his own ministry with baptism. We see others that as they come to Christ, we're we're commanded to be baptized. Why? We baptize because it is the sign of what Christ has done inside of us, that he has saved us, and now we are laying down an old life, a life that was full of rebellion and sin, that was that where we pursued our own thoughts and our own desires, but a life that led to hell. We lay that life down. We bury that life so that we may come forth alive, that we may come out of that free in Christ, no longer slaves to sin, that we come out following not our own desires and our own hearts that get us in so much trouble, but we come out of that desiring what he desires. And baptism is the the symbol of that, but it's also the mark of affirmation from the church. Baptism should happen inside of of these walls, not not necessarily that you can't baptize a creek, but what I mean by that is baptism should happen inside of the the local body of believers, whether it's here or at a creek or wherever, because it's the church's affirmation on an individual that, yes, we see the difference that Christ has made in your life. Yes, we believe in the testimony that you give, that you have believed in him and asked for forgiveness of your sins we affirm that, and you are one of us. And so we baptize, and we teach. But it's not teaching maybe as the world does it. He says, teaching them to observe, in other words, to obey all that I have commanded you. What we do here on Sunday mornings, what we do during the week, whether it's through a sermon or it's through Sunday school, whether it's through charge or whether it's through VBS, whether it's through youth group, whether it's through uh, adult Bible studies, what we do in teaching is not primarily for academics. I I have this much desire to see you become smarter. Okay? Like, I know that that seems harsh, but like... This much of what I desire is to see you just gain academic knowledge. What we desire, what Christ has commanded us to do is teach that you may obey. That is the goal, okay? This much on head knowledge, this much in action, okay? I don't know about you, but I went through a lot of academics that went one ear and out the other. In fact, last summer I got to spend a whole week with my eighth grade algebra teacher and I got to look at her and go, I was right. I've never used it. (laughs) She goes, I won't tell you her response. (laughs) That's not what we do here. That's not our purpose. That's not our heart. That's not our desire Our desire is for you to hear the word of God, whether it's through sermon, whether it's through Sunday school, whether it's through all of these other ministries we have, for you to hear the word of God and go out of this place and obey. And that's speaking to me too. 
my study cannot just be merely academic. It must be a study of obedience that is followed by obedience. That's helping to make disciples. We baptize and we teach those that we have gone and found, who we have encouraged, who we have loved on, who have come to Christ, who we have affirmed through the act of baptism. We teach them to observe and to obey what our Lord and King has told us. That's the mission that we do together. And all of us have a role in it. All of us have a role in going, whether it's to to go to our families and and our, our acquaintances and our friends and our coworkers and our fellow students, whether it's to to go across the street to our neighbors, whether it's to hold the rope for those that go further, whether through prayer or through resources or through encouragement, through letters, we are all have a part in going. We all have a part in making disciples and living life with one another. We all have a part in baptizing and teaching to encourage one another. Sometimes that's on a one-on-one. Sometimes that's on a larger group. Sometimes it's making those things possible. Some of you are sitting here going, I'm not a teacher. I don't have a part in that. No, but you have a part in helping us care for facilities. We've seen that this week. You have a part in feeding people. You have a part in loving on them through cards or notes or just simply a kind word here or there. You have a part in whatever, maybe in music and in your talents and in your gifts. We all have a part here. This is what we've been saying for the last five weeks is that we are a body built together by Jesus Christ that we may accomplish this being joined, joint by joint, part by part. And when parts of the body are not doing what they have been designed to do, what they have been placed there to do, then there are problems. And the body's not efficient. And the body can't accomplish all that it's been given. We need you. In whatever role that God has designed you for, we need you. So how do we do this? We say we work together for this mission. We work together for this, this end goal that to go and to make disciples, to baptize and teach, to glorify God in all of the world. How does that happen on a day-to-day basis? This is where we come to Mark chapter 12. I'm convinced as, as I've studied this week and read different things that the Great Commission is based in part, on the foundation of the great commands. Surely, Christ is the cornerstone. We, we base it on the gospel, but these two commands are the means by which the great commission happens at its fullest. Let's read that passage together again. Mark chapter 12. Again, Jesus is being questioned here, and one of the scribes, in all sincerity, comes up to him, and he asks him a different type of question. He says, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus' response is, the the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than thee. 
Jesus says the start of obeying God, whether it's through the law or whether it's through the great commission, the start of it all hangs on these two commandments, the first of which, the first of which is to love God. If we are to find ourselves obedient, if we're to do everything to the fullest that God has called us to do, it starts with loving him. And love encompasses both devotion and delight. It's easy to read these, this, this passage and, and think of this as total commitment, as just straight devotion, that we commit ourselves to God with everything we have. And certainly when you love someone, there is a commitment. When we marry, there are vows that we make, commitments that we make to one another, that we would be with one another through thick and thin, through good and bad. That that other person is our only one, our true one, right? In the same way, when we come to Christ, when we say, you're our Lord, my Lord, you're my King, you're my Savior, we are making a commitment. We're showing, and we're called to show devotion to Him. It's an important thing. It's, it's a vital thing. But the idea of love does not end with simply devotion and commitment, there is also delight. When you truly love someone, you're not just devoted to them, you're not just committed to them, but there should be a delight in them, that you love spending time with them, that you love being around them, that you love hearing them, that you love just being in the same room as them. A growing delight in the same way as Jesus calls us and he says, love with everything that you are. Love God with everything you are. He, yes, he's calling us to a commitment, to a devotion, but he's also calling us to delight ourselves in him. Brother, sister, can you say that this morning? Can you say that this morning? Can you say, I delight in him. He brings me joy even in the midst of darkness. That he brings life even in the midst of difficulty. Is that growing in you? Becoming deeper and more meaningful in you? Where you know and, and experience his presence and it is a delight Love encompasses both of these things. And the love that he says here is a love that gives everything. He calls for our hearts and our soul, our mind and our strength. It's all encompassing. Jesus is saying here that God is not just something that we do during our week but rather that God is first in our family, that he is first in our workplace, that he is first in our hobbies and our entertainment, that he is first in our decision-making, that he is first in everything that we do. He is not simply something that we do on a Sunday morning, not just something that we accomplish on a Wednesday night. That when we say we love him with everything that we are, it means that he is in everything that we do. That's not just an academic pursuit. That's not just an emotional journey. 
That's not just something that we give physical effort towards, but that it is all of these things. We love him with everything that we do. This is the greatest commandment. He says there's a close runner-up, though, and that is to love your neighbor. The greatest commandment is that you would love God with everything that you are to, show, to find devotion and delight in him. And the second command is to love our neighbor. When Jesus says this, his definition for neighbor here is pretty broad. In fact, when you read it in one of the other gospels, there's a follow-up question as well. Who is my neighbor? It's probably one of my favorite questions in all of scripture because you can just hear the meaning behind this. When the person comes up and says, who is my neighbor? What they're really saying is, okay, who do I have to love? The smaller, the better. <laughs> like, their, their idea is, okay, I, I have to love family, mm, I have to love the church, and now neighbor. Okay, so the people that live on either side of me, okay, I can, I can handle that. Like, that's what they're wanting, right? If we can make that group as small as possible, that would be great. But what does Christ respond to that question with? He responds with a parable. He responds with the parable of the Good Samaritan. He says, let me tell you who your neighbor is. And he tells them this story. You see, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. They were, they were neighbors, but they were not friendly neighbors, okay? They despised one another. And yet Jesus tells this story about a Jewish man who is on a journey, and he gets attacked by thieves, and he's left for dead. And though while many other people pass him, no one offers him help except for one, and that's the Samaritan, the one that shouldn't help, the one that is least likely to be the hero of the story. The Samaritan's the one that sees this dying Jewish man and he puts him on his own donkey so that he's walking and now this man's riding and he takes him and he binds up his wounds and he cares for him and he tells the innkeeper, hey, when this guy awakes, you, you take care of whatever his needs are and I will come back and pay for it. Jesus' response is, that's your neighbor. Jesus doesn't make the circle this big. He blows the circle up. And he says, your neighbor is anyone you come into contact with. That's your neighbor. That's who you're to love. That's who you're to show compassion towards, grace towards, love towards. His definition here is pretty broad. Second amazing thing is that Obedience to this command, obedience to this command to love our neighbor comes best not out of obligation, but out of overflow. Obedience to this com command comes best not out of obligation, but to overflow. There are times when we do it out of obligation. There are times that we very much look at our neighbor and we think, I'm going to love you right now. <laughs> And we make a decision because we're commanded to. But it is best obeyed when it comes out of the overflow. You see, when we do the first command, when we look at God and we love him with everything we are, with devotion and delight, the return is incredible. The blessing is overwhelming, right? And he pours into us more than we could ever imagine and our cup runs over and it spills into other people's lives 
And we cannot help but look at others in our community. We cannot help but look at others that we rub shoulders with. We cannot help but look at others that, that we meet and say, hey, I got to share some of this. This is fantastic. We do it with everything else. If I eat something that's fantastic, my first thing to do is say, you got to try this. If I find a new drink that's fantastic, I say, hey, you got to go try this. I'll even buy it for you. If I find some TV show that I find entertaining, what's my first thing to do? To go tell somebody, hey, you got to go watch this. Why is it then that we find it so hard to say, hey, I've experienced something like I've never experienced before. Let me introduce you to him. Hey, I've been shown love and compassion and patience. Let me show it to you. It is best, this command is best when it is expressed not out of obligation, but when it's expressed out of overflow from what we've experienced from him. And so, as we think about that, that overflow that we've been given, then we see how the commission and the command come together. Going means love. You will not go well. We will not go well as a church if we do not love him well and we do not love others out of the overflow of that. We are limited in our going. I think primarily because we are limited in our love. Going means loving. Discipleship means love. Again, discipleship is this intentional relationship that we decide to have with someone else so that we may both grow and mature in Christ together. That will not happen well unless we love that individual or individuals. Discipleship means love. Again, the commission is based on the command. Baptizing and teaching mean love. They, they mean love. We baptize, we affirm, we bring someone into the body of Christ, into this wonderful family that God has given us. We do that because we love that individual and we're making a commitment to walk with them through this life to make sure that they understand that they belong here through thick and thin, through good and bad, that we're there with them. But we also teach because we have love. We teach them to obey because we have love. Sometimes that's hard. Sometimes we, we teach things and we speak things into other people's lives that we know are difficult to follow. We're not oblivious to that, right? That this life that Christ has called us to looks radically different than the world and what the world says is acceptable and okay and what the world says is valuable. We understand that the word of God looks radically different than that much of the time. And so when we speak truth into someone's life and we call them to observe and to obey, that that is a difficult thing, but we do it because we love them. We speak truth because we love them and we should say it in that manner. Not to be snarky and not to be judgmental but to say hey i am worried about you let me let me show you what the lord says let me help you walk alongside you let me pray for you we do it for one another back it's a back and forth so the commission this great thing that God has put out in front of us and called the church to do, to go, to disciple, to baptize, and to teach, it is dependent upon the command to love him and love one another. Here's the catch, though. 
And we'll close with this, with this slide. Here's the thing about these two commands and this great commission. It's impossible. The idea of going to the ends of the earth and making disciples, it's impossible. We're not going to do it well. We've been working at it for 2,000 years, and there are still people that have never heard the gospel. In fact, places that were once reached are now considered unreached because maybe we've been more worried about converts than we have disciples. It's hard. Not only that, but the command is hard, right? Like even as I talk about finding your devotion and your delight in God and in God alone and doing that with everything you are, how many of you are willing to stand up and say, I do that perfectly? I'm going to go sit down. None of us, right? To show him complete devotion and delight, and delight in him fully, that's something we all grow in. And just about the time we think we're doing well in one part, we're, we're flacking in another at the same time, loving your neighbor. How many of us want to stand and say we do that perfectly? Many of us just flinched, right? Like, I can't even imagine. Like, my, my wife taught for a number of years, and I, I know she loved those kids well, but there were moments, okay? She would confess that. I, I confess there are times that I don't love perfectly, that I don't show patience to you. And those are things that I, I need to repent of and that I need to ask for forgiveness of. We all fail, right? We all fail at these things. It reminds me of what Paul says in Romans chapter 7 as he's talking about looking for the life of, and, the, and the obedience to God in his life. Romans chapter 7 Starting in verse 19. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want to do is what I keep on doing. Now if I do not do what I want, it is no longer I who do it, but it's sin who dwells in me. So I find it the law. In other words, I find it a pattern that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul is, Paul is basically saying this in, in kind of a roundabout way. He's saying, man, I want to delight in him. I want to obey him. I want to love my neighbors. I want to go and make disciples but I find that every time I try to do that, it's like two steps back and, or two steps forward and one step back. I find that I get distracted. I find that I get lazy. I find that I procrastinate. I find that something in this world glitters and it catches my attention, that I get distracted by every squirrel that runs across the road. He says, who can change this? Who can help me? How can I possibly obey these commands? How can I possibly follow this commission? Both as us as individuals and we as a church. Thanks be to God that he answers his question. 
He says, wretched man I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then in verse 25, he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, this command and this commission are impossible unless Jesus. We as a church will not fulfill the commission. We as a church will not fulfill the command. We as individuals will not fulfill these things unless Jesus. Because it is his salvation. It's his salvation, not ours. It's his grace and his mercy, not ours. That we carry with us as we go. That we live out day to day. It's his authority, not ours. Some of you may have noticed that I I didn't spend a lot of time in part of this going back to Matthew 28 and where he starts this commission. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. We do not go on our our own authority or in our own plan. We go in his authority and in his plan. And we go in his presence. You see, we are completely dependent on him for all of this. It's not going to come through a program. It's not going to come through some brilliant plan of your pastor. It's not going to come through just trying harder. It's going to come through him. When we love him and we say, I need you. I need your salvation. I'm under your authority. I need your presence. That is how we do these things. I want to end with this. We talked about Acts chapter 1 just a minute ago. In Acts chapter 1, it says that he says, you will be my witnesses. He says that you will go, he will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. My guess is that the vast majority of us, when we've heard that preached, and we even preached it this way this morning, is that we hear Jerusalem and we think right here in Vandalia. We hear Judea and Samaria and it's our county, it's our state, the ends of the earth, right? And that's the way we preach, that we're to go here and we're to go there. But I want you to wait just for a moment and hear how it sounds to the disciples. Their Jerusalem is literally Jerusalem. Their Judea and their Samaria are literally Samaria. And to the ends of the earth is us. It's us. We are the ends of the earth. Columbus is not going to arrive on these shores for over a thousand years later. We're not going to start settling here. We are the ends of the earth. The fact that we have the gospel, that the good news has been delivered to us, is is the fulfillment of a promise. Go in my authority, and I will be with you to the end of the age. You see, this is the thing. The command and the commission may be impossible unless it's him. And in him, it's a sure thing. When we pick up this torch that has been handed down from the disciples to 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 to us, when we pick up this torch of the commission and the commands, we can go and make disciples and baptize them and teach them to obey with the assurance that if we do it in him, all things will be accomplished, that we win. We can do it with confidence. We don't do it with trepidation. But we must depend upon him.
We must love the way he's called us to love. And we must go and make disciples where he's put us. What is your part in that? As an individual believer, what is your part in that? How are you going? How are you making disciples? How are you bonding together with this church to to see that happen in our community, in our state, and around the world? What is your part in that? Believer, how are you delighting in him? How's that going for you? Or do you need to pray, Lord, light in me a new fire. Light in me a new desire for you and for your word. I want to delight in you. I want to be devoted to you. Maybe maybe this morning you're here and you don't have a relationship with him. You've been searching for a purpose. You've been searching for meaning. All of those things, but you've, you've come up empty. This morning, will you lay down that old life? Will you confess that that has gotten me nowhere? And ask him to forgive you of your rebellion, of your sins, of your mistakes. Will you find forgiveness in him? And will you make a commitment? God, I want to follow you. I want to love you. I want to delight in you. I want to be devoted to you. Will you do that this morning? I'm going to have the praise team come back up. And we're just going to have a time of response this morning. To what, to what the word has said to you. Where, where are you right now? What are you part of right now? What is he calling you to be a part of? Let me pray. Father, we come before you and Father, I thank you again. I thank you that, that you have brought the gospel to us. Lord, that you have come to the ends of the earth that we may know, and that your desire and your wisdom is to use us to take the gospel farther, that you have entrusted to us this beautiful gift of your love and your grace, and you have told us to carry it farther, to introduce it to others. Father, I thank you that you are patient with me, that you are loving towards me, when I fail, when I come up short, Father, I pray that you would help me to obey your commands and to fulfill this calling that you've put on our lives as disciples. Father, I pray for our church, that we would fall in love with the things of you, that we would rejoice in the work that you do, and that we would want to be a part of it more and more. Father, I pray. Or give courage to those that need to make decisions. That need to come to you. That need to make some commitments. That need to confess. Father, give courage. Pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.